Welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abrahams. This is our season three finale, part two. I want you to breathe all this in. This is You Had Me at Black, the podcast where black millennials tell true life stories. Today we're playing the rest of the stories recorded at our last kickback in Oakland. If you're tuning in for the first time, we brought together 200 people at Atlanta Museum to chill on the couch, have a drink, and bask in some melanin and positive vibes. If blackness were a superpower, it would be ultra alchemy. I think we would come up with the best potions and mixtures and, and healing things for everyone. The most powerful form of empathy, and more so making sure that if people are have less of it, that it increases, and if people have an abundance over it, they just get even more juice. If blackness was a superpower, it would be the ability to create things out of nothing or a very little substance. Um, I think black people are constantly being torn down and being forced to try to recreate things and, or make new things um, to sustain their own life or sustain the livelihood of the people around them. And we always do. And we always make it better than whatever they took away from us or whatever they said that they, we couldn't have. Blackness and our superpower is simple. It's revolution. We will fight for what we love. Uh, we will fight for others. Even when they won't always fight for us, we will fight for them. And we'll stand up and we'll die for it. And that's a beautiful thing because uh, black is love. Deflecting microaggressions. The ability to come, overcome any odds. Just being lit all the time. Walking to a space and lighting it up no matter where you go. Our first story comes from Randy. And all you need to know about this story is that it's called The Legend of Yoga Booty Number One. So it's uh, September 2015. It's uh, Baltimore. We're in Baltimore. And it's the second week of pretrial motions for the officers involved with the death of Freddie Gray. And the week before, I was in Atlanta, and I was like, wow, uh, there's a lot of things happening. I saw my homie get arrested. I saw a lot of protesting happening, um, because that week they were trying to just get the charges dropped altogether. So I'm sitting like on my homie's couch like, this is not tight. i got to be there. So the next week, I was like, I'm there. So I drive up from D.C., uh, you know, park my little whip. Rest in peace, black dynamite. Um, you know how that goes. Uh, and so I have my sign, and it says, name, Freddie Gray, age 25, race, black, cause of death, Baltimore City Police. Where should the trial be? Baltimore, because they didn't uh, decide to kill him anywhere else. So the second week, basically, they were trying to get the case moved out of Baltimore into somewhere else, more wider, uh, less uh, and more disconnected from the emotional trauma that still very much uh, was a part of that trial. So I was like, nah. So I step on the block, <laughs> sign in hand. And I got my protesting shoes on, I'm ready. Got the shirt on. And um, at the time it wasn't tie-dye, but anyways. Uh, so this officer rolls up and he's like, trying to tell me, like, call the shots already. I'm like, hello, good morning. Um, and so I'm like, okay, whatever. So I walk away. So I started talking to this photographers with the Washington Post and we're talking about last week, all this stuff. And then the guy comes over and a guy as in another officer, and he's like, er. and the photographer was like, no, 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 she's cool, she can stay, 
we're talking. So he walks off. So then after a while, the reporters go inside the courtroom. It's basically like me and the TV crews that I don't know and the cops. And I'm like, this is shaping up wonderfully. So I'm there. And I'm also kind of like, where are the rest of the protesters? Because last, like the week prior, it was hella deep. Whatever. So then uh, this officer comes up. He's like, hey, uh, can you mind, do you mind moving to the uh, designated protesting zone? And I'm like, and so this protesting zone happens to be like in the corner near oncoming traffic and like by a tree. And I was like, I'm not with either of those. So I'm like, but sure, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, move back from the sign. And then they're off doing something else. So I like move up. <laughs> it's going well. Move up again <laughs> with my sign. I'm like, cool, this is good. It's great. Then another officer comes over. I'm like, yeah, sure. It's like red light, green light. Y'all ever played that before? <laughs> Stakes were high, though. So then, after a while, this guy comes over, another cop. I think it was like cop number like five or six. It was a lot. So he's like, you seem like a smart young woman. Do you think you could just move to the tree? And I was like, mm, trees are triggers for me. Um, for a lot of different reasons. And I was just like, all right. So I move over. Then there's this one sister. I don't know. I don't remember her name. But she was like, who wants to pray? Anybody want to pray? And I was like, I will take that prayer. So we're here, like, literally on the sidewalk, praying in front of the courthouse. All the uh, camera reporters were like, mm -hmm. So say the prayer. Then after a while, the lady cop comes over. Wee, wee, wee. Lady cop comes over. And she's like, you have 15 minutes to move. Otherwise, we're going to have to arrest you. Now, <clears throat> mama raised me well. But, uh. That day had failed me. So something that would have usually just like reverberated in my head, like, mm, you know, actually came out in public. So I looked at her and I said, I'll be here when you get back. So, whew, yeah. 15 minutes rolls around and sure enough, she strolls back up. Still got my sign. And she's like, arrest team. So little do I know, I'm like literally like surrounded by cops. Someone snatches my sign, I'm like, oh. And then, <laughs> The cuffs go on. These are like not like regular cuffs. They're like plastic zip ties. They hurt. And then off I go into the basement of the courthouse. It's getting interesting. So I'm like, all right, cool, cool. Now, <clears throat> I'm in central booking, which is jail. I have no phone. <laughs> and I have no jewelry because they take it all. And uh, I just have myself and my thoughts. So I wasn't like, what? How did I get here? Because I knew, I knew. It happened. So when you're in the part of the movement, you like write numbers down on your arms, because that's the thing. So in case you get in trouble, which I did, uh, you call somebody. So I call Big Ben, this big white guy, shout out to him, pastor. I'm like, yo, B, what's the word? Because you do get a phone call, or three, or four. Person I didn't call, I was like, I'm not going to call my mama, because like, she's going to be a little upset. <laughs> Teaches elementary school, her kids are going to be like, Miss A, what's wrong? <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. Definitely not gonna call Grandma either, cause like before I came out, she was like, "Don't go out there trying to be no Angela Davis." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." She's born in 1938. It was different then. Um, so I'm like, "All right, well, this is gonna go great." So I call Ben. I'm like, "What's the word?" He's like, "Man, things are going crazy. There's a you're trending." I was like, "What?" He's like, "It's hashtag free Randy Gloss." I'm like, "Huh?" He said, "Jadena posted about you." I was like, "Who?" Y'all know Jadena? Yeah? 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 All right. So I was like, what? Um, 
So earlier I mentioned I was in Atlanta, and y'all got friends who are the plug? Anybody got a friend who's plug? Yeah, shout out to them, right? They're great. So I had a friend, and she was like, she was their, uh, she knew their tour manager, and I was like, cool. So basically at the time, Wonderland, so Janelle, Jadena, uh, Saint Beauty Band, all of them, wonderful folks were doing free concerts across the country. And before the concert, though, they would uh, link up or power together, Power Rangers, um, and or like. Anyways, they power together. <laughs> What's the other one? Um, no, earth, wind, fire. Yes, there we go. That was, that was really my shit. Um, anyways, so yeah, team up. Anyways, forces together is really the point here, sorry. Uh, I digress. And they would march with family members. So in Atlanta, it was Anthony Hill uh, and his girlfriend, uh, Bridget, who's a sweetheart. She was out there, his family. He was a veteran. 27 years old, he had a, um, he was going through an episode and so he's running through his apartment building naked in DeKalb County and the officer like shoots him. So anyway, so they're with, marching with family and then afterwards it had been arranged for me to meet them and give everybody shirts. So that goes over well. And I was like, yo, you know, it's great, it's great. Lovely man. Um, and that was it, or so I thought. So <clears throat> fast forward a few weeks later, we're still in September-ish. And anybody been to Made in America? Maybe, yeah, it's a good time. So I went up there, we're in Philly now, and um, Jadena's performing, and I like Jadena. Uh, and then he's like, y'all know that song, Yoga Booty? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he's like, we got any yoga booties out there? So Shorty's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like, how about we have a yoga booty contest? And everyone's like, yeah. So at one point, my feet were here, I was on the ground, and then I looked up, and then I was on the stage. And <laughs> I'm not a trans, like, teleporter. I don't, I don't know how it happened. It just happened. So uh, they start playing the music, the little instrument, doom, doom, doom. And he's like, and I say yoga. And I'm just like, you know, whatever. And it's like eight of us, so I'm not by myself. So it goes on down the line. And he's like, you know, yoga booty number six. <sighs> Nobody was ready um, because <laughs> she, like, popped it on the handset. <laughs> So he's catching the legs. The crowd's like, ah! And I'm just like, what? <laughs> so then, uh, shout out to her. And then goes on down the line to Yoga Booty number eight, who I have mad respect for, because like, how do you follow that up? Like, I don't know. Um, so then afterwards, it's Apollo style. Is it Yoga Booty number one? Ah! Yoga Booty number two, ah! Down the line. So Yoga Booty number six takes the cake, which is great. Uh, and then we're back, you know, dispersing, and Jadena's like, I don't want you all to judge these young women. They're smart. <laughs> <laughs> they're intelligent. <laughs> and they're really about something, all right? And I'm like, yeah, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> but also, my phone is blowing up, and I'm like, well, who's texting me? My phone's dry. Um, and like, I'm getting texts like, yoga booty number one, huh? Uh, there's this little thing I forgot. Made in America um, is live streamed <laughs> to the whole country. Um, so I may or may not have been yoga booty number one and people may or may not have seen me that day. So I was like, okay, well, uh, that happened, cool, whatever. Live your best life. Uh. <laughs> so that was that, and I, I thought that was the end of it. So then sure enough, fast forward, we're in the end of September. It was September, yeah, going on in October, and I'm in jail, and lo and behold, dear Jadena takes this picture, it's not a picture, but he has this caption. <clears throat> Prayers go out to Madam Randy Gloss, who was swanking with us on stage Sunday at hashtag Made in America. 
Peacefully protesting in Baltimore at Freddie Gray's hearing, she was arrested by officers fighting against injustice. Stay brave for a sister. Hashtag HYTB, hell you talking about. Hashtag no more names. Um, and so that's really how all these things transpired. I didn't know that he was gonna remember me. I didn't know. Maybe he remembered like Philly more than Atlanta. Uh, but um, yeah, so I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is new. These are things that are happening. But the reason I wanna share this is because I'm reminded of a few things. Uh, number one being show up. So at this point in time, the hype had sort of died down, right? People were like, okay, another brother dead, as you can see. Like I, I literally started this shirt with six names and now they're 17 and it's called the and counting shirt because there's never an end to it, unfortunately. Um, and so, I was like, you know what, I gotta show up. I gotta show up for this brother because if I don't, who will? But also like, we need, something needs to happen. Like this needs to stop. And it kills me now, literally, because none of those six officers got any charges. But anyways, at the time I wasn't thinking, I was like, I just need to show up. So whatever it is that you care about, whoever it is that you care about, show up, like past the hype. Because that's really when people, that's really when it matters. Um, number two, live your best life. Because I think that we all are like, oh, we, there's appearances and like da 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 da, and people are gonna judge me. But like at, in that moment, I was like, well, this is Randy in rare form, so I'm just gonna like go on stage. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't think about the live stream. Like we were walking back from to my homie's crib, and someone was like, hey, yo, yo, good morning, everyone. And I was like, hey, <laughs> 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 whoo. Um, and but really like. Don't take yourself too seriously. You should be able to let down. You should be able to have fun without like psychoanalyzing yourself about, well, will I be a thawny if I do that? Or like, is this gonna affect my employability? Whatever it is, like just let yourself go. Um, because it's really hard being black, right? Yeah, yeah? Person of color, every single day, you feel, we feel like we're under attack in some form or fashion. It's hard, I get it. Um, you gotta let yourself go. Like legit, the Panthers were turning up, I swear. Um, and also, make sure that you push the system, right? Push the, push the system, test the limits. I didn't go up to Baltimore under the impression that I was gonna get arrested. I was just like, I need to show up. But literally, like, when people fall silent, that's when the devil and all his minions and you know, all these folks out here who up to no good, that's when they get the most active is when they think they're like, oh, this is no longer trending anymore. This is no longer a thing to them, so we're just gonna you know, keep doing our, our dastardly deeds. But for me, when I got, when I looked into the back of that white van, <clears throat> I knew that I was going to be buckled in because Freddie was dead, because he hadn't been buckled in. I knew that in that situation, I was gonna come out alive because Sandra was not. And so there's this interesting way how life works, how oppression works, and how precedents work, and how folks are martyrs without even knowing it at the time, but that Literally, I'm, I'm standing here today because of them, like, on God. <laughs> um, and so that's really important is to push the limit. Like, when you think about it, the bus boycott, these Bamas walked for 13 months. They didn't be like, nah, just going to delete Uber. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> we're walking, and we're carpooling, and there's some allies involved. But that was a thing. It wasn't just, you know, click status. <laughs> But it was literally like, imagine having to walk to, to work for 13 months or having to take BART for 13 months to make real impact, right? We're very blessed, we're very privileged. I believe people of color do have privilege, but it's like how often are we actually putting that privilege aside or putting it in a place to check our privilege where we ourselves are uncomfortable? 
that like, it was uncomfortable. I was like, apparently in the cell with like this, like this little Asian lady, she was like in the corner. And the shorty who was next to me, she was like, she's a child molester. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the other girl, she's like, she's like, yeah, I got a flight to Vegas. It's my 21st. I was like, today? She said, yeah, some, some security guard was going off at of my brother's casino, so I had to take my shoe off. And I was like, wow, all right. Live your best life, sure. So, you know, um, but I, I want to say all that to say, again, push the system. You got annoying-ass coworker or somebody. Like, think about somebody who's really, like, digging under your soul. And, like, push back. You know, push the system, live your best life, um, and show up. And I want to thank y'all for showing up, and good night. Now, before we get into our second story, let's talk a bit about You Had Me at Black Live. All across the country, we're seeing gentrification push at our communities and disregard our history and erase our presence. And to be quite honest with you, You Had Me at Black is not here for it. Our events are a notice that we are still here and we are not silent. And there is space to celebrate our culture and turn up. And we want to bring them across the country, but we need your help to do so. We have two days left of our Kickstarter campaign and only a third of our goal to raise. And so if everyone listening right now went to youhadmeatblack.com slash donate and pledged just $10, we would hit our goal. I've mentioned before that Kickstarter is all or nothing. And so if we don't raise our full goal by Saturday, we won't get to keep any of the money that we've raised so far. So please... Head to youhadmeatblack.com slash donate and join our movement. And without further ado, let's hear our final story of season three. The second story comes from Mahara, and she's tired. Tired of what? Having to explain that she's black. Here's what happened. Uh, my name is Mihera Adlan Ahmed Abdelaziz. But you can call me Mahara, and my story takes place last year in San Francisco. I, work in, I worked at the time at a company in Petrero Hill, and it was around the time when I felt like every other day a black man was being killed by, by the hands of police and taped for everybody to see. So it was just a very tough week, and I remember coming into work and thinking, how come no one is saying anything about this? Like, why isn't leadership speaking up? And you know, working in tech, you're either like the only black person or maybe like out of five. So it's already a loneliness before that. So I'm thinking like, you guys saw this on video, like everybody did, you, how are you ignoring this is happening? So I felt really alone that day at work and I just wasn't myself, I wasn't working and my job was like metrics driven. I probably did like 10% work that day. Um, but one of my coworkers noticed, like, asked me, like, what's wrong? She's a white girl named Claire. And <laughs> she asked me what's wrong. And yeah, shout out to Claire. Um, and I was like, oh, I thought you'd never ask. And I said, let's talk about it after work. So in Petrero Hill, there's a Whole Foods there. It's really cool. It has a wine bar downstairs and a Whole Foods. So I used to go there all the time after work. So we went there and like talking and she even brought up like 
the killings of, you know, Alton Sterling and Philando Castillo, like, how come they're not saying anything? I'm like, well, I'm glad you feel that way, because no one else did. And I'm like, well, actually, maybe they're not bringing it up. Maybe they don't even think I'm black. She was like, what? What do you mean? I'm like, well, this is something that's been happening actually my entire life. So I was born in Sudan, Africa. If you're not familiar, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> if for some reason you missed it, it's literally the biggest country in Africa. Um, and another fun fact, the word Sudan came from two words, the Arabic word for Sud and English word land. When the British came invaded, that's what they called it, so it became Sudan. So that was my perception of blackness, like my country is called the land of the blacks, right? So uh, my parents, like all my whole family moved to the U.S. in 96 in a small town called Princess Anne, Maryland, and there's a university there called the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. It's an HBCU. My parents went there to get their master's. So I make my first friend in Princess Anne. Her name was Brittany. She was the cutest little chocolate girl ever. And we were like friends for the whole year. I was like, America's so great. I have a friend. Like, yes. <laughs> so then <laughs> this girl, I don't know where Brittany knew her from, but she moved in the neighborhood. And I remember the first day I met her. We were in the school bus in the morning, and she gets on the bus, and she's like, Brittany, who's your friend? And I knew something was off because she was sucking a lollipop at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I'm like, it's about to be trouble. So I, I was like, uh-oh. And so she's like, this is Mahara. And she's like, Mahara? What kind of name is that? What, you Indian or something? And I was like... The reason why I remember her name was Keisha is because there's a Sudanese word, slang word, and the term was punk. Keisha meant punk in the Sudanese era. No offense to any Keishas out there right now. Um, so I'm like, listen, you little punk. I did not say this out loud. <laughs> but in my head, I'm like, listen, you little punk. Like, what do you mean I'm not black? Like, you see the white kids here? You see, the, I'm with the black kids. Like, my parents go to HBC, HBCU. Like, I'm from Sudland. Like, what do you mean? Like. Those were my thoughts then, but like being in, you know, eight years old or nine years old coming to America, I'm like, I'm from Sudan, Africa. Like, <laughs> I didn't know what to say, but so that happened about, for six months, my nickname from Keisha was Indian Girl. And my parents ended up graduating and got job offers to work for the federal government. So we packed up and moved to the DC area. Shout out to DMV. Okay, so. Yeah, we lived in the D.C. area, and then I remember my aunt, my mom's sister, came to visit from Sudan in 2001, like early 2001, to, she was pregnant, and she wanted to have her child here, to have a U.S. citizenship. And I was really excited, like beyond excited, and the reason why is because even though my mom is, I think, amazing at everything, she does not know how to braid. And my aunt did, so in Sudan all the time, I used to get my hair braided because I was in school and like my mom just didn't want to do my hair for two weeks or whatever. Like, so I was like, please give me cornrows. Like I've been missing this for like, I think at that time it was like, I don't know, I don't want to do the math, but many years in not having that. And she got my cornrows and I, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Dax. Yes. <laughs> so if you're not familiar with Dax, think like Crisco vegetable shortening. <laughs> And it's green. It's the greasiest grease you've ever can encounter. I don't even know if they still sell it, but 
<laughs> so, and for some reason, my mom wanted to make it like extra greasy. She added olive oil to it and mixed it up. Yeah, so <laughs> my aunt braids my hair and I'm like, scalp is shining. So I'm like really excited. I thought I was so fly. Like, I mean, in retrospect, I was wearing like the most basic outfit. It was like 90s mom jeans with like white Nikes and like a white and yellow striped shirt. But I thought I was fly. Like I get in the elevator and this like nurse lady, she's like an older black lady. Like she looks at me and she was like, hey baby, let me, let me wipe that off. So she licks her finger. And like I have a big chunk of Dax on my five head. <laughs> So I was like, oh my God, this lady saved my life. Like I came, I was about to go to the bus stop with this Dax on my head. So, but little did I know, she did not save me from any embarrassment that was gonna happen. So I'm walking to the bus stop. Oh man, middle school boys suck, they're so mean. Anyway, they're like, oh look at Mahara, she got braids, she trying to be black. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so yeah, it really killed my spirit. I'm like, what do you mean trying to be black? Like this is, what I've been doing before I came here. Is this only a, an American black thing to do? Like, I've been doing this. So it goes on like the whole day, but I'm like taking out my braid, like cornrows one by one during, I know. <laughs> so I'm like sad, like, oh, I'm so excited. And of course I get home and my mom's like, how dare you take off your braids? <laughs> and my aunt, like, you made such a big fuss about this. And I came up and it was hurting me. I couldn't focus, the school is too tight. <laughs> So I could not, <laughs> I could not bring myself to tell them the reason because I didn't know how to articulate that. Like the 11 or 12, like all oh, the kids told me I can't have. I didn't even know. I didn't even know what that meant. So middle school sucks. Middle school sucks for everyone. I mean, it's just a bad time. Like anyway, it's. I mean, going through identity crisis at the time was even worse. And like later in that year, 9/11 happened, and I'm Muslim. So you can only imagine how that was. So that was middle school. High school and college were great. Like I made a solid group of like dope ass friends of all shades of blackness. Like if you're in DC area, you know it's like Ethiopia, Eritrea. Yeah. And I went to Maryland. That's like little Nigeria. <laughs> um, you know, I had all types of friends, Caribbean, like African American, like high school and college, I didn't feel like out of place. And like that's who I kept close with. Like I didn't feel lost in my identity. But then, after I graduate and get my first big girl job, I worked at a consulting firm and we did a project, had a project in Philly for a year. Shout out to Philly. Okay. I have to just say it. <laughs> so yeah, um, we were out, my team and I went out for drinks and something was brought up along the lines of like, oh, Philly, yeah, city of brotherly love. Like, oh, it's a black city in this. Coworker, older lady, she turns to me like, yeah, Mahara, you're black, but you're not really black. And I was like, mind you guys, she was a white woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that happening, I was 23 years old. It was my first like corporate job and I didn't know how to react to something like that. And I didn't know like where to stop lines, like, I mean, cross lines. So I really didn't say anything, but I just hated her for the rest of my life. <laughs> so as I'm telling my coworker Claire this at Whole Foods, she's like, 
like jaw drop, like what? What do you mean? Like this is crazy. And she gets so upset. And I'm like, yes. I was like, get mad. Being mad is great. Anyway, so I go home and like tell my mom about the braid story almost like two decades later. And she's like super upset at me. Like, how dare you not tell me? Like, I wanted to know and be there for you. Like, I'm talking to this with your brother all the time. My brother is 12 years old. The only two presidents he's known are Obama and Trump. So, yeah. <laughs> Race is brought up a lot in our household now with him. So she wanted to have, like, opportunity. But, I mean, I was, like, new to America. I didn't understand, like, how I articulate any of that that was going on. Um, but it was cool because, like, a couple weeks after that incident, my mom would send me, like, cool-ass, like, articles, like, to just make me feel good about my identity. Like, she sent me one recently, like, it was about a queen in the kingdom of Kush, and the kingdom of Kush is modern-day Sudan. So it was, like, in 10 BC, like, this dope-ass queen, black woman, Sudanese woman, like, defeated the Romans, and it just made me feel good. Like, she would do stuff like that to, like, take me out of that loneliness that I felt when I was younger. So a couple weeks later, Claire and I go to a gala at the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco, and I'm wearing a red dress, and I run into a girl, an ex-coworker of ours who's also a white girl, and she's wearing a red dress. And she's like, oh my God, Mara, I haven't seen you in so long. Like, we're both wearing red dresses. You know, it's funny. Like, I went to my stylist, whatever, earlier, and trying to pick out a dress for this gala, and she's like, you should wear a red dress. It looks really good on like, like pale skin, white girls, and also like black girls. And she's like, and I thought of you. And I was like, why? Am I? That's when you know that she has no black friends. <laughs> like, why am I the only person you thought of? Anyway, she's like, yeah, I thought of you. I mean, like, yeah, you're black, but you're not really black. And I was like, at this time, I did not give a. She was not as like as you know, a senior to me, like I wasn't 23 years old, I had nothing to lose, like I was about to, you know. And before I get to do that, Claire is like, what? To the girl. She's like, <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she's like, yeah. And, and, and the thing about Claire, she's like probably a foot taller than both of us, so she was like, towering over her like, you sound so dumb right now. Like, what do you mean she's not black? Like, what are you even talking about? Why would you even bring that up? You sound stupid. Like, and I'm sitting there like, Lord, thank you. But yeah, it was a great moment. And even after like our discussion, like at Whole Foods, like I was gonna already write a note to like HR, like how dare you not bring this up about these men like dying and like, how dare you? But it helped because Claire was like down to like write them a note too, so it's not just me. Um, and the next day, needless to say, they were like, "Oh, we apologize." I'm like, "I mean, yeah, I mean, I wanted you to say it, but like it's too late, but whatever." <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I say all of this to say, if it's not obvious, like black is not a one-size-fits-all thing. It's a wide spectrum, like all you beautiful melanated people out there, and I'm just happy to be a part, like a little part of, particle of that like spectrum. And it should be obvious, but like to all the quiches and annoying ass coworkers in the world, like just don't be ignorant. Two, I think it's also important to open up to people who are different from you. Like 
I mean, 10 years ago, I mean, actually five years ago, if a Claire came up to me and like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. Like, what does this white girl know? Like, <laughs> what's the point of like wasting my breath and explaining my like self and the way I opened up? Like it made me uncomfortable and I'm sure it made her uncomfortable, but it's necessary. She got mad and she stood up for me like the first chance she got. And Claire's in the audience right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she, I mean, yeah, sorry, Claire, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Claire's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> I hope I get to hear your story one day, but not on a podcast called You Have Me a White. Thank you. And last but not least, Thank you to all the wonderful and talented people who worked with us on season three. Take it away, Adiza. You Had Me at Black is produced by Brittany Abrahams, Afiello Duke, Jared Sport, and me, Adiza Egan. Dion Henderson and Charlie Corpening did the beats, and our engineer, Miles Dotson, makes us sound good. Martina Abrahams and Tashana Stewart, they do everything else. Catch you next season.